Chapter Fifty Five of the Old Curiosity Shop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Old Curiosity Shop by Charles Dickens. Chapter Fifty Five. From that time, there sprang up in the old man's mind a solicitude about the child which never slept or left him. There are chords in the human heart, strange, varying strings, which are only struck by accident, which will remain mute and senseless to appeals the most passionate and earnest, and respond at last to the slightest casual touch. In the most insensible or childish minds, there is some train of reflection which art can seldom lead, or skill assist, but which will reveal itself, as great truths have done, by chance, and when the discoverer has the plainest and simplest end in view. From that time, the old man never for a moment forgot the weakness and devotion of the child. From the time of that slight incident, he, who had seen her toiling by his side through so much difficulty and suffering, and had scarcely thought of her otherwise than as the partner of miseries which he felt severely in his own person, and deplored for his own sake, at least as much as hers, awoke to a sense of what he owed her, and what those miseries had made her. Never, no, never once, in one unguarded moment from that time to the end, did any care for himself, any thought of his own comfort, any selfish consideration or regard, distract his thoughts from the gentle object of his love. He would follow her up and down, waiting till she should tire and lean upon his arm. He would sit opposite to her in the chimney-corner, content to watch and look, until she raised her head and smiled upon him as of old. He would discharge by stealth those household duties which tasked her powers too heavily. He would rise in the cold dark nights to listen to her breathing in her sleep and sometimes crouch for hours by her bedside only to touch her hand. He who knows all can only know what hopes and fears and thoughts of deep affection were in that one disordered brain, and what a change had fallen on the poor old man. Sometimes weeks had crept on, then the child, exhausted, though with little fatigue, would pass whole evenings on a couch beside the fire. At such times, the schoolmaster would bring in books, and read to her aloud, and seldom an evening passed, but the bachelor came in and took his turn of reading. The old man sat and listened, with little understanding for the words, but with his eyes fixed upon the child, and if she smiled or brightened with the story, he would say it was a good one, and conceive a fondness for the very book. When in their evening talk, the bachelor told some tale that pleased her, as his tales were sure to do. The old man would painfully try to store it in his mind. Nay, when the bachelor left them, he would sometimes slip out after him, and humbly beg that he would tell him such a part again, that he might learn to win a smile from Nell. But these were rare occasions, happily, for the child yearned to be out of doors, and walking in her solemn garden. Parties, too, would come to see the church, and those who came, speaking to others of the child, sent more, so that even at that season of the year they had visitors almost daily. 
the old man would follow them at a little distance through the building, listening to the voice he loved so well. And when the strangers left and parted from Nell, he would mingle with them to catch up fragments of their conversation, or he would stand for the same purpose, with his grey head uncovered at the gate as they passed through. They always praised the child, her sense and beauty, and he was proud to hear them. But what was that so often added, which wrung his heart, and made him sob and weep alone in some dull corner? Alas! Even careless strangers, they who had no feeling for her, but the interest of the moment, they who would go away and forget next week that such a being lived, even they saw it, even they pitied her, even they bade him good day compassionately, and whispered as they passed. The people of the village, too, of whom there was not one but grew to have a fondness for poor Nell, even among them there was the same feeling, a tenderness towards her, a compassionate regard for her, increasing every day. The very schoolboys, light-hearted and thoughtless as they were, even they cared for her. The roughest among them was sorry if he missed her in the usual place upon his way to school, and would turn out of the path to ask for her at the latticed window. If she were sitting in the church, they perhaps might peep in softly at the open door, but they never spoke to her, unless she rose and went to speak to them. Some feeling was abroad which raised the child above them all. So, when Sunday came, they were all poor country people in the church, for the castle in which the old family had lived was an empty ruin, and there were none but humble folks for seven miles around. There, as elsewhere, they had an interest in Nell. They would gather round her in the porch, before and after service. Young children would cluster at her skirts, and aged men and women forsake their gossips to give her kindly greeting. None of them, young or old, thought of passing the child without a friendly word. Many who came from three or four miles distant brought her little presents. The humblest and rudest had good wishes to bestow. She had sought out the young children whom she first saw playing in the churchyard. One of these, he who had spoken of his brother, was her little favourite and friend, and often sat by her side in the church, or climbed with her to the tower-top. It was his delight to help her, or to fancy that he did so, and they soon became close companions. It happened that, as she was reading in the old spot by herself one day, this child came running in with his eyes full of tears, and after holding her from him, and looking at her eagerly for a moment, clasped his little arms passionately about her neck. "'What now?' said Nell, soothing him. "'What is the matter?' "'She is not one yet,' cried the boy, embracing her still more closely. "'No, no, not yet!' She looked at him wonderingly, and putting his hair back from his face, and kissing him, asked what he meant. "'You must not be one, dear Nell,' cried the boy. "'We can't see them. They never come to play with us or talk to us. But you are. You are better so.' "'I do not understand you.' said the child. Tell me what you mean. Why, they say, replied the boy, looking up into her face, that you will be an angel before the birds sing again. 
but you won't be, will you? Don't leave us, Nell, though the sky is bright. Don't leave us. The child drooped her head and put her hands before her face. She cannot bear the thought, cried the boy, exulting through his tears. You will not go. You know how sorry we should be. Dear Nell, tell me that you'll stay amongst us. Oh, pray, pray, tell me that you will. The little creature folded his hands and knelt down at her feet. Only look at me, Nell, said the boy, and tell me that you'll stop, and then I shall know that they are wrong and will cry no more. Won't you say yes, Nell? Still, the drooping head and hidden face, and the child quite silent, save for her sobs. After a time, pursued the boy, trying to draw away her hand, the kind angels will be glad to think that you are not among them, and that you stayed here to be with us. Willie went away to join them, but if he had known how I should miss him in our little bed at night, he never would have left me, I am sure. Yet the child could make him no answer, and sobbed as though her heart were bursting. Why would you go, dear Nell? I know you should not be happy when you heard that we were crying for your loss. They say that Willie is in heaven now, and that it's always summer there. And yet I am sure he grieves when I lie down upon his garden bed, and he cannot turn to kiss me. But if you do go, Nell, said the boy, caressing her and pressing his face to hers, be fond of him for my sake. Tell him how I love him still, and how much I loved you. And when I think that you two are together, and are happy, I'll try to bear it, and never give you pain by doing wrong. Indeed, I never will. The child suffered him to move her hands, and put them round his neck. There was a tearful silence, but it was not long before she looked upon him with a smile, and promised him, in a very gentle, quiet voice, that she would stay and be his friend as long as heaven would let her. He clapped his hands for joy and thanked her many times, and being charged to tell no person what had passed between them, gave her an earnest promise that he never would. Nor did he, so far as the child could learn, but was her quiet companion in all her walks and musings, and never again adverted to the theme which he felt had given her pain, although he was unconscious of its cause. Something of distrust lingered about him still, for he would often come, even in the dark evenings, and call in a timid voice outside the door to know if she were safe within. And being answered yes, and bad to enter, would take his station on a low stool at her feet, and sit there patiently until they came to seek, and take him home. Sure as the morning came, it found him lingering near the house to ask if she were well, and morning, noon, or night, go where she would, he would forsake his playmates and his sports to bear her company. And a good little friend he is too, said the old sexton to her once. When his elder brother died, elder seems a strange word, for he was only seven year old, I remember this one took it sorely to heart. The child thought of what the schoolmaster had told her, and felt how its truth was shadowed out even in this infant. "'It has given him something of a quiet way, I think,' said the old man, "'though for that he is merry enough at times. 
I'd wager now that you and he have been listening by the old well. Indeed we have not, the child replied. I have been afraid to go near it, for I am not often down in that part of the church and do not know the ground. Come down with me, said the old man. I have known it from a boy. Come. They descended the narrow steps which led into the crypt, and paused among the gloomy arches in a dim and murky spot. This is the place, said the old man. Give me your hand while you throw back the cover, lest you should stumble and fall in. I am too old, I mean rheumatic, to stoop myself. A black and dreadful place, exclaimed the child. Look in, said the old man, pointing downward with his finger. The child complied and gazed down into the pit. It looks like a grave itself, said the old man. It does, replied the child. I have often had the fancy, said the sexton, that it might have been dug at first to make the old place more gloomy, and the old monks more religious. It's to be closed up and built over. The child stood, looking thoughtfully into the vault. We shall see, said the sexton, on what gay heads other earth will have closed when the light is shut out from here. God knows, they'll close it up next spring. The birds sing again in spring, thought the child, as she leant at her casement window and gazed at the declining sun. Spring, a beautiful and happy time. End of chapter 55